Speaking of reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. This is Fred Schenkelberg. And this is Diana Dini. Hey, Diana. We did get a question. Um, uh, Mark wrote, uh, and I think it's through the the Ascendo Reliabilities dot com slash go slash sor site so we don't get very many questions through there most of the times it's through linkedin which works just fine but this one came through at least it works now we know it actually works yeah great uh, um so mark said he would just listen to episode uh speaking of reliability episode 77 so that's more than 700 episodes ago it's so <laughs> It's almost like he's pulling from the archive, almost. Oh, definitely, yeah. It goes way back, yeah. Uh, I don't think you can even go that far back on iTunes. I don't know how far back different readers let you go back, but I think iTunes just does the 100 episodes or 200 episodes are, uh, back. Uh, but anyway. Uh, well, you know, Fred, I was uh, doing a search on something, and uh, an episode 127 came up. Oh, cool. I think it was 127. <laughs> And it was still, uh, it was good, it's still applicable today. So, keep them up. Oh yeah, oh I yeah, they're definitely on the site, and and uh, every now and then I look at the stats, and and I, I think it's just software driven. Where somebody says, I want to load, you know, all episodes of this show, and it goes back, and I get, you know, the first three hundred episodes, I'll have one download. Oh, (laughs) it's like, okay. And that's in the, in an entire month or something like that. So there's some, and you can find it through a search on the site. You can Google search and other search engines find these things. That's why we have the show note pages uh, to keep them relevant. The vast majority of topics we've ever talked about are, are um, evergreen, right? They, they're not on current events and they don't age all that much. Uh, talking about our old shows, obviously shows our age, but um, it's so it goes. <laughs> well, hey, not mine, though. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And, and you're a very welcome addition, and hopefully you'll grow old with us, too, and, and have a bunch of episodes. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, so anyway, Mark said he listened to episode 77, which had the title of Transition of Reliability Culture. <clears throat> now, frankly, I don't remember that particular episode, Yet I do remember that, and he talked about a couple other things, but what he mentioned was that in the work he does, he's a, a, a consultant in the asset management plant reliability type space. He says that, you know, we can work with a client and help them install a CMMS system, clean up their data, put, you know, procedures in place, do all these cool things. And then the number one thing they run into is why do we want to change this? This is a lot of work and a lot of expense. What does it get us? You know, what's the point? And oftentimes, if they walk, if they come in and and do all this work for this team and then leave, it it all pretty much erodes or devolves back to what they were doing. It's just, some of it's change management. Some of it is, that's the way we do things or it's the way their culture is. And so, uh, Mark was saying, you know, I'd love to hear some more about how do you make systemic changes into the way people do go about their work, the cultural changes. And so I, I thought I'd bring that up with you, Diana, because I'm sure you faced it in one form or another, is it's more than change management. It's, 
understanding the culture of the organization about how they do stuff. So you have any, uh, any insights on, on this one? Oh, so there's a top-down approach and a bottom-up approach um, that both work and, and depending on how you're involved and what you want to change. Um, the the top-down approach has to do with um, working with management and making sure that when you bring in the consultants that you have the, uh, the key people involved and that the consultants are helping to initiate change within the company. So they're bringing um, the management along for the change and, and also relating it to the business return on investment and that that will really get management's attention. Mm -hmm. Have have you, I'm sure you've uh, done a lot of consulting, Fred, you've probably done a lot of top down kind of management work too. Well, there's been a couple of them. Um, It's not my favorite style. Um, to tell you the truth, um, it's especially when you get a, a manager that says, "Oh, this just makes sense. We got to fix reliability." Um, can you write I, some some blurbs for me for my next, you know, all hands presentation, or can you interpret these? They didn't want to learn anything about reliability or how to interpret, um, you know, what their field failure rate trends were, or they didn't want to set up any metrics. They just wanted to know what were the three questions I need to ask so I look like I know what I'm talking about. And, oh. and so it was, they were kind of half in. I've had a couple of them like that. And it was like, this is doomed. <laughs> you know, that's just, it's just not going to work. Um, and then there's others going, you know, I just got into this company and what we used to do, what we did in the other company was so different. How do I, how do I, Still, there's pieces missing here. It's, some of it was training, some of it was tool set, some of it was the approach of how they were dealing with failures, stuff like that. And they go, I recognize all these things. I just need somebody to help me convey it and, and just another ally to help make the change. But they were there in the room. They were there in making the introduction. They were there saying, this is why we want to do this for the business reasons. And I didn't have to write a single word for them. They got yeah. it. those were that top down, and then the role of the consultant was to um, do the two hour training, you know, and do the follow up and answer the technical questions and and bring the yeah I've been there I've been in your shoes I can I can relate to what you're doing and, and not be your boss trying to tell you how to do it uh, right. kind of thing. Those went really well. Yeah, so you need to have someone, if you're bringing in consultants, you have to have somebody in in the position that, um, in the company, that is the, the change agent champion. Yep. And then the consultants can perform the supporting role for that in, in whatever capacity that that person needs. Yeah. No, yeah, no, that's top down and, and it really does take... Uh, either the CEO or general manager or a senior manager that is the, has the energy and resources and, and authority to invoke change. And they just need expertise to help make it happen. Um, I like that style project works um, depending on their credibility. I've run into a couple of them where they have all these great ideas, but nobody believes them because they tried in the last six months, they had three different major projects and they all got dropped. So I was like, 
there's a part of follow through that you need to do too. And unfortunately, I didn't know about those until we were well into the program. Wow. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's there's pros and cons to it. But in uh, one of the things Carl talks about, and he's mentioned it a couple times on the show, is that when he goes in to consult with a group, it might be a director level, somebody that's calling him up to say, hey, can you help us with this, that, or the other? He said, is, is one of the requirements is that he, he wants to go talk to a senior manager. You know, I want to talk to the general manager or the CEO or the vice president in charge of this area, you know, just to make sure we're in alignment with what, where they're going and what they understand we're trying to do. And he's had a lot of success with that. It's just a touchstone. Make sure we're in sync because you don't want to go in and, and install a bunch of stuff and then the senior manager says, what are you doing that for? We're going over this way. It's a yeah. lot of wasted effort then. Yeah, exactly. Um, getting getting alignment with all the uh, the senior managers on what you're doing and why you're doing it and the value it brings to the organization um, is is important for, for lasting cha- systemic changes like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because once the consultants walk out of the door, it's it, it's too easy to fall back on, well, this is the way we typically do stuff and this part doesn't fit anymore. It's not mentioned anymore. It's not part of the program. Whereas if the senior folks are in, are it's on their agenda and they want to sustain it, it'll come up. It'll be on the quarterly reviews. It'll be what happened here and what's, wait, why aren't we doing this? Sometimes just those little comments and follow-ups make all the difference going, oh, they really do want to know about you know, the results of the FMEA. I guess we better do them. <laughs> you know, yeah. Kind of thing. Um, I know HP, uh, the story that Dick Moss told, and it's in the uh, Reliability Engineering and Management Handbook, there's a story of the 10X program. And it was either the first or second thing on the senior management agenda with every interaction with every division. It was, how's the reliability program going? Where do you stand against your goals on reliability? And, you know, what's your warranty accruals? What's your warranty spend? And it was, they just consistently followed up and followed up and followed up and reinforced that that was a priority. And they did that for 10 years. And what unfortunately happened is they said, all right, we got that. Warranty's really low. Let's go tackle some other big problems. So they stopped asking those questions. And within four years, we're back at the... Uh, warranty expense per net revenue rate that we were at the start of the 10 years. We lost 10 years worth of progress in less than four years. Wow. That's pretty significant. What, what would have prevented that from happening besides management's consistent inquiry about, about its status, or is that just what it would have needed? Well, I think it's part of what it would just need, but it also suggests to me is that the, the systemic change um, of we're paying attention to warranty and f- field failure rate, we design good products, those kinds of things, was a response to the focus and didn't become inherent. It, it was just response to that's where my bonus is, so I'm going to go work on that. Or that's what the boss is always asking about, so I'm going to go work on that as opposed to an organization where that's just what we do. It's just how we do our business. It's good for the business. It never got translated that this is 
we're doing this because it has so many benefits to us and to our customers and our industry that that's just what we do. Now, some divisions actually got that, right? They didn't need the ongoing reinforcement from senior managers. They found that their market really benefited, <laughs> their, their business benefited by just making reliable products. And that's what I mean by inherent, that it became just part of the culture of that group and it then was self-reinforcing. The culture change with top-down if it changes when the manage, senior managers rotate in and out, then you don't really have a systemic change. And right. I, and that's the trick, right? So the top-down approach has got to go beyond that people are following the lead of what's on the agenda and what their bonus structure is, is they actually internalize it and it becomes part of the decision making at all levels. And that's just because of the cultural change that this is what we do here. And, and I think that's the hard part of doing that when it's the top down. I I don't know. I I guess I've seen some really good ones top down, but I've seen so many examples where it just doesn't sustain. It doesn't become systemic. Yeah, I, part of the change, um, part of the change plan for a top down approach for that, it would have to include some sort of cultural cultural ways ways to address it culturally within the company yeah um and that that could be the training um the boots on the ground and following up with demonstrations of how valuable it was like you said the one division realized how much happier their customers were and and how much money they were saving um just making that apparent Mm -hmm. with the value that that brings that that could help with some of the cultural differences. Yeah. yeah. No, I think that's a big piece of it. Some of it is the training. I agree. Those are two perfect steps for it is the, the ongoing um, awareness and training and capability, but it's also that value piece is how does this make a difference? You know, why just because we're expected to talk about it when the boss shows up, if that's not relevant, if the only thing they talk about is market share at the corporate level and uh, pennies earnings per quarter, well, that doesn't make hill of beans to me. I have no idea how to translate that. <laughs> right. Um, if I'm one of 50 divisions, that's at the wrong level. If instead it's this allows you to walk around the new project, projects without being pulled off for emergencies to fix field problems. Oh, okay. I like that. Let's make it right the first time. Um, and then you have opportunity with resources and priorities that way. And then it becomes self-sustaining. It's like, well, let's just get it right the first time so we avoid the bad old days. And it's a, it, it shifts it. Now, you, know, you also had mentioned a bottom-up approach. Yeah. Expand on that a little bit. Well, if, uh, if, for example, if you're a quality or reliability engineer working um, on, your, on your projects in, in whatever capacity, um, if you're proactive with your work and you recognize who your customers are, you, you, can, you can start to shift the culture within the organization just by your actions and your, your activities with the people you're working with. We, we just talked about collaboration. Right. So just being proactive with those collaborations um, on a consistent level. So if you're 
consistently showing up and you're consistently demonstrating the reliability engineering tools or the quality tools and, and how they work. Um, and your coworkers and your internal customers, if they're, they're seeing the value of what it is you're offering, eventually they're going to start inviting you. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but you can't, at first you can't ask to be, you can't ask to be a participant. Um, because a lot of times people don't know what to ask you or don't know the value that that your skill set can bring. You just have to be confident enough in yourself that you know what you can bring to the table and you're and you can bring it and be proactive with it in in a good way in a in a positive right. team functional way. Right. You know, sometimes it's uh, you know we bring to the table like an accelerated task. We're, we're comparing two things and we don't have time. So, well, let's pull out what we know about the failure mechanisms and accelerate it. And here's some trade-offs, but we can get to an answer that might be able to help you quicker. And they're like, oh, I didn't know you could do that. Or that's clever. Yeah. Or, you know, that's part of it. I think the other part is going back to the collaboration piece is going, you know, the ones that always tripped me up and where I found that I was actually found way more value of adding to the team was there's an electronics part that interfaced with a mechanical part. And for whatever reason, um, mechanical engineers and electrical engineers, and I know there's plenty of them out there that talk to each other and work well together, but most of the time they just don't talk the same language. It just, they don't. Um, Mechanical guys go, why can't your circuit boards be more precise? And so I can actually find it in space and attach to it, you know, and and electrical guys are like, you know, what's wrong with you mechanical guys? Can't you deal with tolerances? And, you know, or whatever. It just, and then software wasn't even in the room. Nobody wanted to talk to those folks. And sitting there as a reliability person, I'm looking at it going, we need all three of those functions to work together. (laughs) Yeah. And you guys, you know, quibbling about each other's discipline isn't helping. And the only solutions you offer are only from your discipline. Um, That's just not going to work. So how about we get in a room together and just do some brainstorming and define the problem, whatever. And I didn't have any solutions other than just put put them in the same room. And let's talk. Let's, here's the issue. Here's the problem. You know, what does everybody see that? Okay. What are, let's brainstorm some ideas. And we come up in an hour, we come up with a couple viable options and then we go off and experiment with it. But it had nothing to do with reliability. It was just a, a technical, functional problem. Well, what it does, though, is that building on that being consistent and showing up is saying, I, I need to help. <laughs> I need to yeah. move this forward. I, I have a unique position where I talk to all these different fields and all these different disciplines. Um and we can build relationships with them individually, but when you put them together, we get a whole lot more done and quicker. And so I, I found doing that kind of part from a bottom-up approach works. And then insert the accelerated test or the you know, cyclic testing or the uh, uh, FMEA type stuff or even just brainstorming sometimes. It's bringing those tools and facilitation in really helps get started with that change and then just like the tops down one it's like you said is is that once they recognize the value of say those approaches or those techniques 
they go, oh, that was actually useful. Let's do that again. Right. And now you get invited. You know, Diana, could you come over and help us with this next problem solving thing? We need a an 8D approach to troubleshoot this and understand it and help us make it happen. And um, then, you know, you're getting started. Then what do you do, right? If you really want to make a systemic change, when you leave the room, how does that remain? That's the tricky part when you do a bottoms up. Well, that's just a, boy, that's a, that's a matter of when you're consistently helping the team and, and showing them ways to do things, other people were going to start adopting it for themselves too. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've found that people don't necessarily wait around for you to be available. They've done it with you a few times, so they're going to do it themselves. Well, that and, speaks to the notion that you're, you're not just leading the meeting, you're helping them understand the technique or the process. You know, it's, it's, if we're going to do a failure analysis, it's explain every step so that it's not a black box anymore. If we're going to do accelerated testing, here's the thought process, for example. I think that's a piece of it so that when you're not there, they know what to do. Is that what you're getting at? Yeah, that's a, that's a piece of it. Um, and, and just having them be a part of the process, too, is a great learning opportunity mm-hmm. for these things. Um, and uh, there, was, there was an engineer. He was early in his design. And we were working in a company that um, had some limited um, quality engineering resources, like, like a lot of companies do. Mm-hmm. But, but it was um, typical for the quality engineers to do the FMEAs. But the design engineer, was he was at the point where we had worked together before. He said, well, I, I really think we should start one now. It would be valuable. Um, but there wasn't a quality engineering person available to help help support him with that. So mm-hmm. he, he, just, he started it on his own, no, knowing that he would work with the cross-functional team later. But it, it was something where he thought, well, I've, I've sat through these. I think this can help me. So I'm going to start it and start collaborating with, with my team mm-hmm. so that I can get that that input and so I can make some decisions. So I, I think I think it is um, not only showing up and being available, like you said, um, showing the techniques and how valuable they are and and taking the mystery out of them um, that that all goes toward making a systemic change well that's I think when this engineer said oh we we need to do an FMA I'll just get it started that's brilliant and then you know you that is a, a big step towards making it just part of what the way we do things and right. I think our role at that point is not to take it over is to include I call it being the invisible hand. It's mm-hmm. just coach them or help them to be very successful at it. Right? Yes. But not get in their way. Let them take the credit. Let them execute it. Let them make some mistakes and learn from it and move forward. Um, so I think that is in, is a third way to go after a systemic one. I had a middle manager once said, I need to re- recast my group, and but I want them to get the credit for it so it stays in the organization <laughs> and so that they want to make the change happen. 
And he and I said, you want me to coach and talk to them, but never put my name on anything. I says, yeah, that's exactly right. I says, I want you to be the invisible hand, the backstop for us. So if we have any doubts, we got somebody that we can go to. I'm like, that's brilliant. That's a, that's a great way to, to envision that, yeah. And so like in that role where that engineer said, oh, I just got to do this. It's like, all right, here's some resources. Here's some stuff. You know, if you have any questions, give me a call. You know, be successful. Now, let me help you. Uh, and that's another way to go at it. Creating a systemic change in an organization and the culture, back to Mark's question, is really difficult. And in, in realistic terms, it takes time, real time, years in some cases. Um, it, it takes a difference in behavior and mindset and how people go about gathering information and making decisions. It's, which is difficult to do even in the best of circumstances. Yet, pulling all the tools and resources, approaching that from a both top-down and bottom-up at the same time, as long as they're in sync, um, is effective. But, it, but I think the hardest part by far, and I, I hope you agree with me, Diana, is that it, it takes time. You have to be persistent and patient. Yes, and um, sometimes repetitive, and that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I learned that from a coworker. <laughs> uh, he would, you know, keep repeating the same thing over and over again. Um, he never got frustrated in having to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, it was just something that, you know, it, it was important enough to say once. It was important enough to say again, and and that was okay. So yeah, time and showing up, and it showing up in that time, and just being. Uh, repetitive and, and supportive of, of the people that you're trying to help. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right, cool. Um, I know there's way more to unpack in Mark's question, and there's changing a culture. We outlined just a couple different, you know, approaches, general approaches and a couple stories to help bring it home. But the, the idea is that you can do it from wherever you sit in the organization. And we're certainly going to be coming back and talking about this topic a few more times. And there's, we didn't even touch on the soft skills part here. Diana. No. I think that's, <laughs> we got a, that's an idea for our next couple episodes. Um, because I think that's vitally important is how we work with other people. But uh, if you're listening to this, if you've got any questions or if you're facing one of these and what's worked or not worked for you, let us know. Head over to AscendoReliability.com slash go slash S-O-R like Mark did and send us a note. Um, we'll get you an answer uh, probably directly uh, if it's a sub a topic for a future episode. We'll, um, if I remember, I'll, I'll send a note to Mark saying what episode this one's going to be on so you can look for it. Um, although if he's on episode 77, he's got a long way to go to catch up to this one. <laughs> <laughs> Jump around on the queue, I guess. Um, but I, I would say thanks, Mark, for listening and having questions and even our, on any of our episodes. That's always very welcome. And we appreciate that. Um, let's see. Also, you can get a hold of Diana and I uh, through LinkedIn or through our about pages. So to quickly mention a couple other ways, plenty of ways for you to get in touch. So anyway, um, thanks for listening. And Diana, thanks so much for uh, joining me on this topic. And I'm looking forward to our next round. And because uh, I do want to touch on that presentation you did at um, uh, the conference, the ASQ Reliability and Risk and Reliability Division uh, conference recently. And you mentioned you did a bit more about soft skills. So that's, that'd be an interesting 
follow-up topic for us. Well, I'd enjoy talking about it with you, Fred. It's always a pleasure. All right. Well, thanks, Diana. Have a great rest of your day. And thanks to everybody for listening. We'll talk to you next episode. Bye. Thanks for listening to Speaking of Reliability. We invite you to join the conversation. If you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show, please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes.